Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to ACO Watch, a midweek review. I'm your host, Greg Masters, publisher of the blog ACOWatch.com and known to some on Twitter as Two Health Guru. This is the 12th broadcast in our weekly series that monitors the emergence of the accountable care organization industry. And joining me today as special guest commentator is noted author, speaker, and consultant William DeMarco. See www.pendulumhealth, that's P-E-N-D-U-L-U-M-H-E-L-T-H.com for more information on Bill. DeMarco is president and CEO of DeMarco & Associates, Inc., a national independent healthcare consulting firm specializing in healthcare delivery system redesign and transformation. DeMarco is recognized as a leader in the research, design, and implementation of community-based health plans. Since his involvement in several startup health plans in Minnesota in the early 70s, Bill and his team of management consultants, clinical specialists, and reimbursement analysts have assisted employers and physicians in developing better relationships with insurers up to and including developing local solutions to deliver and finance care. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation to speak. And so glad you can join us today. Bill, you seem to occupy an interesting chair in the ongoing conversation around ACOs. Have we been here before? And if so, do you have any words of wisdom in this charge towards ACO formation? Well, it seems that we've been here uh, not just in the last several years, but also uh, back into the early 70s when many of the early formation of what I'll call classic HMOs, uh, a la Paul Elwood and uh, Elaine, uh, there, there was a number of people that be, became involved with this with Entolvin and others that really got the ball rolling and got people to start thinking about integrating the financing of care with the delivery of care. Uh, we've come full round now to uh, talking about uh, clinical integration, uh, and we tried that in the 90s, and a lot of people had a lot of very good contracts and a lot of very good advisors, uh, but we really didn't see a lot of change in the behavior towards more accountable care, more uh, really driving uh, that quality uh, as the top priority on the agenda instead of just the money. And so now this is kind of revisiting this uh, using Medicare uh, as the nation's biggest payer, uh, as a means to not only uh, try and uh, encourage physicians and hospitals to act in a more accountable manner, but also to reward uh, those that are successful by sharing some of the uh, the, the premium dollars and the savings uh, back to those particular providers who are actually able to prove the efficiency and effectiveness of their care. Uh, I'm excited about it because it really is uh, becoming more and more of a grassroots organization. I'm seeing more of the independent practice associations, some of the physician hospital organizations, uh, and certainly some of the large multi-specialty practices uh, taking advantage of this particular opportunity with Medicare, uh, as well as starting to receive some calls from employers who are saying, I want you to build an accountable care organization network for me. I'm no longer happy with the insurance plan or the insurance network that's merely discounts. If we can make them more accountable, perhaps bundle the payment and have some specific uh, rewards for some of the physicians and hospitals, the employers would prefer that over the system that they now have. So uh, 
let's maybe provide some context here. Um, what is an ACO? What do we know, and what might we be projecting onto that canvas as we're sitting here March second uh, without CMS guidance? Well, I think we're looking at ACO as a uh, somewhat of an unstructured beast, and that has a lot of people very concerned. Uh, but it is something of a group of providers, uh, specifically physicians, and in our definition, specifically uh, driven by primary care physicians, uh, specialty care physicians, who have come together and, and have agreed to provide or arranged to provide a number of services equivalent to the Medicare benefits package uh, for a, a predetermined uh, fixed sum of money on a, a periodic basis very similar to what we were talking about with the uh, HMOs or health plan business uh, with one great big exception and that is these providers are not in the insurance business. In the insurance business we have upside risk and downside risk. Uh, have to be very very precise in exactly how we're doing this. What the government has set up here is an opportunity then this, and this is the revolutionary part of this where you're actually able to say that on the top side of this risk uh, there are savings. If if you can come in under what the budget amount is for uh, paid claims uh, services in your particular service area. If you can, then you share that savings with the government in some percentage, some formula. And that's a revenue stream that physicians and hospitals do not now have. So this is in addition to what they normally receive from Medicare, they would receive this additional dollars. And that's the unique part of this. We, we did some of this back in Minneapolis in the 70s. We did some of this in Chicago here uh, in the back uh, in the early 80s, where we had some sort of a shared savings program. But this is much broader, much more robust. And I think that when you see uh, what we are putting on the canvas here for the ACO, uh, the organizational shift is very important. The understanding of the reimbursement shift is equally important. And the fact that the physicians are asked to and required uh, by virtue of the law to take a leadership role is also something that's brand new uh, and is attractive to many of the physicians who are tired of the uh, of running the treadmill as they have been for the number of years they've been in business. So uh, the devil's in the details, and we await for those details, but uh, we're not just talking about necessarily Medicare here, are we? And that's correct. I think one of the questions I get more often than not is the question, what if the government were to ratchet down this Medicare shared savings approach, uh, program to the point where we don't get any savings for the work that we're doing? And the answer is that there's some large self-funded employers uh, in the marketplace who are looking for an alternative to the current discount uh, networks that they've had for years. Those discounts are not working uh, well, and they're starting to realize discounts never did work for anybody. Uh, and the other side of this that nobody's talking about that we're very uh, excited about is the development of these consumer-oriented uh, operational plans, co-ops, as they're calling them in the legislation. Uh, legislation came out February 5th in the Federal Register for comments. Uh, there's been a number of testimonies, and we've been involved with some of the hearings ourselves. Uh, and what this is, is really a, a revisiting back to the 70s of these not-for-profit cooperatives, as they've had in Minnesota and Wisconsin and other places around the country, where Greater Marshfield Clinic and uh, Health Partners and others did a very good job of laying in the foundation to then create uh, this huge integration of uh, premium dollars, and also a delivery system for both the commercial uh, population as well as uh, for Medicare and in some states, Medicaid. So new and improved cooperatives, a.k.a. accountable care organizations, are we connecting dots here? 
I am. The ACO is the foundation, or like I call it, the chassis. Uh, the chassis upon which any successful health plan, be it uh, Greater Marshfield, be it uh, Geisinger, be it uh, Kaiser, you have to have that huge chassis built in place to actually make this work. All the balances and counterbalances. Once you have that, you can build upon it in the direction of just being a network that contracts. You can be in a licensed insurance organization or this new opportunity, which is a, a not-for-profit uh, co-op that is favored under the regulations uh, up to and including uh, being able to market this through the new exchanges that some states are uh, moving quickly uh, to form. What that means is these co-ops, uh, if you're an insurance company that forms after January 1st of last year, you would be able to be uh, to meet the requirements of this uh, cooperative and you would have some of your premiums subsidized. So in effect, you might be competing with these big insurers, but you'd have a distinct advantage over the insurers in offering a lower cost, uh, hopefully higher quality type of service. Uh, through these particular exchanges that individual consumers can move in and out of on an annual and open enrollment uh, basis. So it is really the answer to the question, what's happening after ACOs? And when I explain this to physicians, they say, this makes a whole lot more sense because it tells us that the ACO in itself can create savings, but it will also allow us to use those savings and that pricing advantage to actually deliver a product in the marketplace. And this is a product that's, de that's designed specifically for small group or individual. So maybe I can coax, cajole, whatever, uh, you into maybe doing a blog post here on the, the chassis concept under the, under the umbrella of this uh, cooperative movement. Perhaps we could uh, uh, turn some lights on there because I think that's fascinating. I think you have to have the vehicle before you can actually move forward. So that's exactly right. So um, back to the, if we just look at ACO from the point of view of the Medicare Shared Savings Program, this kind of HMO light, if you will, introduction to not so much risk sharing, but at least gain sharing, is this sort of the sort of easier, softer way to get mainstream medicine involved? I think that it is. I think you're rewarding those that are more precise, are more efficient, and more effective. And once physicians get involved with this, and as I said earlier, I've been involved with these types of ACO-like chassis building since the early 70s, and it's exciting because once the physicians really see that needle start to move, both in terms of quality and also in terms of reward, uh, you have in, your, uh, in their particular direction something that's very, very motivating, self-motivating, where the physicians will find ways to certainly uh, create the gain sharing, uh, but at the same time keep the customers very, very happy too. They don't want unhappy people because uh, they're skimping on care and creating too many savings. Uh, somebody's going to watch that very closely, and there's uh, uh, chaps and all of this built into the regulations to prevent that. But at the idea that we can do better than what we're doing right now, and there's 30% of those dollars that could be actually translated into some sort of savings by streamlining the system, this is an exciting opportunity because it is the physician, uh, primary care and specialist who, at the point of their pen, have a lot of control about who goes to the hospital and what kind of care uh, is selected for that particular patient's recovery. So what are you encountering as you speak with uh, clients or uh, interested physicians as they look at their, um, their glide path, if you will, towards ACO formation? How are you advising them? What are you hearing? 
Well, I think we're we're going over the general fundamentals as I just have here talking about this is this is something new in the rules and regulations, but it is not necessarily something new in the marketplace. And then try to explain to them the classic not-for-profit uh, health plans that were existing in the early 70s and how some of them have survived very, very handily and why they've survived well, not the least of which is because they were physician-organized and or driven. Uh, but then talking about what are the uh, hoops that one has to jump through and, of course, uh, the uh, the, the risk of uh, anti-competitive behavior, uh, antitrust, comes up first because they've heard all about this. People are kind of scared to get the docs organized, so they're putting it out there in the newspapers and letting the physicians know, well, this is a big hoop to jump through, and we tell them this is very serious. Uh, don't take it lightly. Get good advice from the get-go. But a lot of this information, a lot of this information is in the regulation. It is out in the public domain. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission in 1966 was asked, can you please give us some safe harbors or a description of what are the kind of networks that they would approve of? And that's a starting point. It gives them six different varieties and options to start with. And most of the attorneys that we work with will say that's a great starting point for, say, a physician organization that's just now emerging uh, or has been a network, but they really don't have the centralized decision-making and the centralized office that you need to make uh, meet the ACO requirements. Once we kind of get through that structural uh, barrier and we start talking a little bit about uh, some of the nuts and bolts, now we can talk a lot about clinical improvement. And this is where the physicians really do get excited because many of them know that, again, there's some waste in the system, uh, the throughput for a lot of these patients within the offices. Uh, there's insurance barriers. There's all kinds of other barriers. Uh, obviously, working with Medicare, they've had to be very, very efficient in doing that. But so much of what we uh, what we jump through in terms of other hoops uh, isn't here because the fiscal intermediaries are going to be taking care of uh, the claims information and translating uh, information back and forth. If we go to the bundling option, which I think some of the organizations will go to, uh, I think that's a good option for some, and for some that are just starting out, they might want to say, gee, I, I think I'll just go on a modified fee-for-service, and then we'll go to bundling once we really get our uh, our data systems and other things to work the way we want it to. Uh, those are things that are, again, uh, should we do it now, should we do it later? Uh, those are worth discussing. And then, of course, uh, the infrastructure. Should they be outsourcing some of this? Should they be buying the hardware and software, which scares the daylights out of everybody? And uh, there's some staffing issues in terms of being able to centralize some of this. Those that are successful independent practice associations, of course, they already have an office, but they know that they need additional staff in order to make this happen. Uh, there are management companies that are out there helping these positions to support that infrastructure expense on a per member per month basis so that it isn't a large out-of-pocket expense for them. Uh, and then we get into the discussion of uh, the real essence, and that is who owns that bonus? Uh, if it's a physician hospital organization, where does that check actually come to? Does it come to the hospital? Does it come to the doctors? And I've been into this discussion for many years in the PHO area, and now we're seeing it revisited here, where a lot of the hospitals want to check first, and then they're willing to do something with the physician side uh, of things. So uh, the physicians are saying, no, I, I'm really sensitive to the fact that maybe we as the physicians should have the check and then we should share the bonus with the hospital. Or in some cases where I'm working right now, where the physicians are saying, we want to own the entire bonus and we'll contract with the hospital for the services. We're not going to be sharing the bonus with anybody unless it's an absolute necessity. And so there's little 
little nuances here and there that as the physicians start to really explore this, they then start asking the questions about how can I really start getting guidelines in place? How can I really start measuring those guidelines so I can prove that I'm an ACO? What are the things that Uncle Sam is going to ask me about when I actually put an application in place? All of those things, which we actually do have a lot of answers to uh, based upon our extensive work in the Medicare Advantage area, where much of the Medicare Advantage uh, application process came out of the Medicare statutes uh, over the past several years. So I don't see a lot of that changing in terms of requirements to protect these beneficiaries. By the same token, we are aware of the fact that many of these applications are going to be reviewed by the central office in Washington, D.C. In fact, by the same people that are reviewing the applications for Medicare Advantage programs, which oddly enough are growing once again for a whole lot of reasons we can talk about in another session. But the idea here is that if the people are reviewing it and the uh, statutes are in place, that tells us there actually is a pathway. As our one of our associates like to explain is, uh, you know, I don't have to explain to you exactly what's outside my backyard or what's inside my backyard. Uh, you can actually uh, say this is what it looks like uh, in terms of a landscape picture without getting into a lot of detail in terms of, well, what might it be the next day, the next day, the next day. So I think we do have much more structure in place than people uh, really think about. Uh, and there are some that are going to say, gee, I think I'm an ACO, and the answer is no, you're not. And then there's going to be those that are really well down the pathway here. And they're going to have an advantage, a uh, distinct advantage. This comes in uh, in place here uh, the next January and the January after that. They're already in place with a lot of the uh, nuts and bolts uh, and, the, like I say, a lot of experience. One of the things uh, CMS has told me uh, is that if you have a physician organization who has some experience that actually uh, they bundle payment in, say, uh, hearts or bundle payments in knees or that kind of thing, and they have that experience, they're going to have a uh, higher rung on the ladder to get their application approved than, say, somebody who just got together and, do you have any experience at this? And the answer is no. So, there again, experience does count a lot uh, in the application. So when doctors ask me that question, I'm able to say, we should maybe uh, try this out with a couple of the uh, school districts or a couple of the big employers in the area who are uh, thirsty for uh, obviously saving some money uh, and probably would support a change like this because they're working directly with the providers. So, is, so what you're saying is, in all likelihood, there will be preference given to entities that have some familiarity, if not a track record, in any one of those areas from, from an ACO certification standpoint. That's correct. So a lot of the physician-owned health plans that are applying or a lot of the physician-owned networks, uh, the Geisingers, those kind of organizations do have a, a distinct advantage. Okay. So uh, if this is about getting granular and reaching into and perhaps beyond the group practice culture, you know, of AMGA, MGA, MGA excuse me, M, MGMA, et cetera, um, how how do how, how do the uh, the mainstream uh, internists and primary care physicians who have a uh, uh, stake in the game with Medicare uh, get favorable attention? What, what do they need to do? Well, they first need to think through uh, what their delivery system is, and they kind of look at you. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, what we're saying is right now, as a primary care physician or a specialty care physician. You have a network 
you have a network of physicians you like to refer to because you think they're the best doctors in your area. They're hopefully the people you would refer your family to. And by the same token, there's physicians who think of you that way, who refer to you on an ongoing basis. Do you know who those physicians are? And most uh, most of the physicians and certainly the office managers do know who these people are, who they're simulating referrals from, who they're actually working with on an ongoing basis. And it's kind of interesting, depending on the specialty, but they have their own little IPA almost in place that they've been using for years and years. And what they need to do then is to find a couple physicians with like-mindedness. Uh, what, what, their, what the Harvard Business School came out with that wonderful paper that talked about shared value. Uh, and that's what we're looking at is those docs who, uh, by virtue of their age or income or experience or knowledge or just real motivation, say, I've got to do something different than what we've been doing and change this delivery system in my community to make it a better place for my patients to experience healthcare. Those are the physicians. If you get them together in a room and they start talking, again, staying away from a lot of the antitrust uh, potholes, but really start talking about what they could do together uh, to actually uh, participate in this Medicare shared savings program. And then the question is, between all of them, do they have 5,000 non-Medicare Advantage patients? Yes or no? And after a little bit of digging, they can find that out pretty quickly from their office managers, in which case that group, uh, you could have 20 primary care physicians who could qualify as an ACL if they were willing to go through the steps that we're talking about. So that's the genesis. That's where it starts, is a, a core group of uh, 10 to 20 physicians who really say, we need to change this delivery system. We can do this. We can lead this. And we can also qualify for the bonus. And that bonus will help us then to rebuild and really make our ACO uh, the best ACO in the area. So I'm uh, a primary care physician, general internist, whatever, at a local hospital, and I have a fairly significant Medicare volume, not Medicare Advantage. They're in the Part A, Part B, Part D program, and I want to do something about this. What is my end-to-end -end experience in listing someone like you to actually come in and do an analysis of the market? if you will, by virtue of my referral relationships, both primary and specialty. What am I looking at there to, 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 to build this picture from end to end? How long does it take? From end to end, if you're not at all clinically integrated, you're just starting out from square one, uh, we tell people uh, eight months is the fastest we've ever built something like this, but it's more like a year. Give yourself a year of good, solid planning, because we'd rather be rather have them be happy with this than have them uh, you know, uh, rush through it and not really understand all the pieces and parts. Because this is something, once again, that they're going to govern. They're actually going to be involved, not in the day-to-day -day management, perhaps, but they're going to be involved with the overall policy setting and goals of the organization and retaining that vision amongst themselves and their colleagues. So to actually identify their own little IPA, that's probably a Saturday afternoon with themselves and their office manager. It is usually that, not that hard. They go through the non-Medicare Advantage charts. They identify by zip code or by, uh, by their, uh, the services they're providing. They can usually scroll that off their practice management system or identify it by going through some of the charts. And they can come up with a, a number and also the number of physicians that are part of their uh, overall network. And then for them to talk to those other physicians who have exactly the same question, maybe they're a family practice, lots of Medicare, uh, Part A, Part B, but they are also saying, gee, I'm on a treadmill here. Uh, we almost lost it here with a Medicare cut of 20% on our income. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? All right. All of these questions come forward in the answer. It isn't a time for desperation. It really is a time for creativity. 
It really is a chance for them to create uh, kind of that next era of medicine that they uh, and also their patients are going to uh, evolve through. So I'm this internist uh, with Medicare skin in the game. I'm not a Medicare Advantage uh, participant. Um, do I need a uh, institutional partner here, and who might that be? Uh, Sibelius came out last week and said that hospitals don't necessarily have to be a partner in the ACLs. I was delighted but surprised that she came out and said it that boldly. Uh, and what we're seeing is that hospitals certainly have a role here. They have to provide inpatient care because the Medicare Benefits Plan provides inpatient care. So it's not that they're being left to the side of the road. The question is, is are the hospitals going to share in the bonus and the savings in some manner? And if so, how much and all of these things then becomes much more complicated than 10 or 15 physicians sitting around a room thinking about how they can actually improve care and how they can actually develop this, uh, the answers to the questions that uh, they're going to be asked in terms of accountable care rules. Uh, that next step then is to really organize enough so that they can say, we are one partner to think with one mind. One idea and shared values, and we're looking for another partner who's going to bring X, Y, and Z to the game and have that very clear right up front, more than services, what is in the hospital can bring to the table. And certainly money comes partly, but there's information technology, there's reputation, there's experience, there's board members that usually have companies that they own in the marketplace. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you would want the, the hospital in some sort of a collaborative role. But you also need to say, now, how much of the savings are we actually going to share with uh, institutional services? And most of that is, is in the bundles. It's pretty much defined in terms of uh, how many days and how many visits and those types of things. But, again, that's something that the physicians need to say, if we're going to get this off the ground uh, and we're not going to be able to come up with all the money ourselves as physicians, then we need to have a capital partner who's also going to bring the technology, the reputation, uh, and obviously uh, some leadership. Uh, into this particular mix, but to always operate uh, as partners in, in that situation. So it's not the hospital, uh, again, controlling the physicians. That is something many of the doctors I talk to, they're scared of to even talk to the hospital until they get actually organized as a group and then go in uh, collectively. So are hospitals the only potential institutional partners docs could look to? Not really. Uh, we're talking, like I said, to employers. There are self-funded, large self-funded employers that right now are feeling uh, the edge here, and they are in a position where uh, the dollars coming from them could actually fund a, a lot of what we're talking about. Uh, there are investors that have approached us with some of the projects we're involved with, saying that they'd like to have uh, uh, some share in, in the uh, outcome being paid by the bonus. So they see the value of this if, again, the physicians have a track record that they can actually point to and say, we can do this. Uh, there's other uh, sources for capital as well. So there's a management services company upside potential here as well. That is correct. In addition to the ASO services, you could also provide uh, in a traditional MSO services if they were uh, not at the point where they had uh, electronic uh, medical records. That might be a group purchase that they make instead of buying it individually. Uh, there's all kinds of things that, that can be done here on the MSO side. But there is a management services arrangement that can be brought to the forefront along with investor money to go with that. And that is something uh, uh, we just saw a survey this morning that uh, there's about a third of the uh, ACOs in process that are now being managed by someone other than the physician, hospital, or health plan. 
Very interesting. So we're really talking about a range of potential partners out there, whether it be a local hospital, a hospital system on behalf of a local hospital, possibly a health plan, whether provider-sponsored or not, and maybe even a private equity-backed third party like a physician practice management MSO. Is that that what I'm hearing? That's correct. There's a lot of options there. Like my physicians used to say to me, if you have the will, you can pay the bill. And there's some truth to this because the physicians collectively really have a lot more influence. And I'll say this, and specifically primary care physicians have a lot more influence than people have given them credit for to date. They really have a lot of of interest uh, in participating collectively if they can find that that partner. Uh, Health plans can take a lot of different roles. Uh, What we're seeing happen here in Chicago is a good example of Blue Cross has been doing bundled payment for their HML for a century. And so now they've taken that bundled payment expertise and they've created a special product for the provider marketplace, just like you put a special product out there for the employees. They're putting a special bundle payment product out there where they're going to share the savings with a select group. And the select group they picked was Advocate, which is a large uh, hospital network uh, owned and operated bricks and mortar hospital entity uh, in uh, Chicago. And they have the exclusive to this. So uh, for them, this was the way the insurance company decided that they would uh, joint venture or re- relate to the providers. In other markets, we're seeing that a, uh, an HMO who cannot be a uh, ACO, if you're a payer, you can't be a provider too, you pick, uh, what they're doing is going out and talking to their network of all their doctors and saying, we're going to form an ACO management company or management relationship, and they manage this new uh, network. Uh, through a separate subsidiary or through some uh, type of an arrangement. And uh, in doing so, they obviously sell some of their administrative services, generate some revenue for the health plan, and also uh, provide the support for a lot of the physicians so they don't have to run out and buy all the hardware and software. Uh, And in that situation, it's pretty much a matter of trust. If the health plan has done a good job for them, uh, they probably will, the physicians will probably pick to go with that particular health plan. Uh, the third level, which just kind of raised its head here over the last uh, two, three months, uh, is almost like the uh, physician practice management companies of uh, uh, that many years ago, where the health plan is actually forming a relationship with a provider corporation. The provider corporation themselves make multi-specialty group practices bought by the insurance company. Then the provider organization goes out and starts signing up physicians and hospitals, and specifically physicians, primary care physicians, in different markets all around the, uh, the, the region. And what happens is the physician signs the contract for Medicare and also signs the contract for the ACL with that particular provider organization in mind, and then the insurer uh, delivers the product. Uh, Now, there's some risks to this, obviously, uh, big risks to this, not the least of which is that if the uh, practice becomes overloaded uh, with ACO patients or Medicare Advantage or whatever, that particular insurance company de facto owns that practice, in which case they could replace that physician in a moment. So, again, what we tell physicians is you need to organize a network. Uh, and in doing that, you have at least as a group the chance to say, yes, we're going to follow or we're not going to follow. As independent practitioners and onesies and twosies, that's very hard to do in the third-party uh, management business as it will be in the ACO business. So, uh, again, more options, uh, also you know, more perils if we're not careful. But we see a lot of opportunities for physicians to participate and effectively uh, change the delivery system and re-engineer uh, the delivery system in favor of the their patients. 
Is there a pat answer for whether Doc should or should not have an institutional partner? No. I think that has to be done at the uh, physician level, at the uh, local level, on a decision-by-decision uh, decision basis. Many physicians obviously work with two or three hospitals, so if they pick one, <laughs> they've got to pick the others as well. That can get to be a little bit uh, difficult. Many of the hospitals are trying to get ahead of this, as we read in the news, uh, but the hospitals themselves running to the physicians, especially if the physicians are organized, creates a lot of questions. The physician saying, well, do we just pick one or two or three, or what, what do we really need? And, and that's where, uh, again, that has to be the question, is what is it we need and what does that hospital, what are they willing to bring? So whether it's hospital as commodity, perhaps like Monarch Healthcare here in um in Orange County, or hospital as uh, a general partner like Nautilus slash Hogue, uh, mm-hmm. either can work, correct? Yes, they can, absolutely. Now, I, I have great, uh, uh, great confidence that many of the hospitals that see this coming down the road and have actually read the regulations that this is a physician-driven entity. In other words, if they have physicians on the board, the physicians are involved with governance and making decisions, that they will have the advantage uh, over something that is just strictly hospital-owned. If they actually apply for the uh, ACO designation with that in mind, they have a very good chance of getting that as a hospital partner. If they try and bring themselves in and just say, well, this is going to be like the old HPOs where the hospital runs everything, uh, the feds are probably going to take a second look at it and say, uh, we really want physicians because they know, uh, as we do from building these chassis in the old days, physicians really do have the ability to improve the efficiency and effectiveness of the outcome of the patient much more than the institution does. So they're good partners, but we're really trying to focus in on the physicians and encourage them to really take that leadership role. So as much as this is an effort <clears throat> excuse me, to reach into you know, mainstream medicine and, and, and not just focus on uh, group practice culture, organized medicine, um, <clears throat> there is a, a, a capital impact their capital impact of forming an, a, uh, an ACO. Um, if I'm a, uh, again, an internist with other internists, when we collectively have 5,000 uh, Medicare patients, scale the, can you scale what, might, what we might be looking at in terms of a potential bonus pool to distribute among the members? I have to answer it with it'll vary by county. It'll vary by uh, city because the uh, Medicare paid claims, which is your one of your uh, early uh, financial assumptions, uh, is going to vary uh, very much by county by county. Uh, so that's that's part of the variable. But you can back into the number uh, by by generating uh, again the number of enrollees that you're going to have, and also coming in uh, with what the definition of what the ACO would be paid uh, vis-a-vis the Medicare Advantage uh, folks in that particular market. So a little bit of research like that, we can pretty much estimate uh, what that bonus would be for say 15,000 uh, potential Medicare eligibles. And if they're in a market, uh, we're working in a market right now where uh, this. High hospital and this physician organization are the principal uh, 
source for healthcare. And there's about 30,000 eligibles uh, that they would be able to pull in. So we're putting the projections at about half of that, uh, being very conservative. And then we're running the numbers in terms of what kinds of savings would be right off the top from what the government is now paying for Medicare Advantage versus what they would pay for ACL. And then they would be able to generate uh, dollars on an ongoing basis. So uh, again, market by market, there is a formula. And market by market, they'd be able to generate uh, an estimated uh, savings. And then, of course, Bill, lost you. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. I, I lost you towards the tail end of that. So I guess I get it varies. Um, I would perhaps uh, say that at 5,000 members, we're not talking about an inconsequential pot of money here. So there's definitely, at least from a financial perspective, something to look at. So let me ask you this, and they, this may be a real overreach question, but uh, because there's uh, capital implications for physicians to form an ACO, whether it's with a partner or not, or they do them themselves. Um, you know, what are they looking at in terms of a budget to get themselves there? That's one. And the second part of this, which is the out there part of it, could they use the potential bonus to secure a loan? That, that's the piece that we didn't talk about, and the answer to that, I believe, is yes, because the physicians, uh, if they, they need to find, obviously, a very uh, savvy investor-slash-institutional uh, loan source. But many of these organizations that do financing for practice management services or for other buildings of uh, physician practices, they're pretty much up to date on what we're talking about. And, and yes, the answer would come back saying, if the physicians are willing to ante up um, five, $6,000 a piece over two to three years, and the uh, institution was willing to also loan a certain amount of those dollars against a, uh, a well-projected bonus, uh, certainly, uh, physicians, depending upon the size of the group, uh, could be able to buy uh, stock in this or buy uh, uh, governing units of an LLC, uh, $2,000, $3,000 a piece uh, per year. Over a period of two or three years, they would have uh, basically the nut taken care of, hopefully their institutional investor taken care of, uh, and the rest of those bonuses are all theirs. So they would have, you know, they could have a $20, 30000000 million company uh, for less than probably half a million dollars in a very short period of time. Again, if they keep their feet on the path and, and, and go uh, you know, one foot at a time, uh, can't go racing down this path and we can't take side trips. But if they can do that, uh, we're very confident that with the bonuses, uh, we did a calculation uh, in, in one of the markets uh, with 15,000 eligibles, there's $10 million. And that's without changing any of the risk uh, uh, profiles. That's, not, that's really not putting a lot of medical management in place. It's basically doing where we are now, but it really represents a savings to the government of about $10 million. Some of that will be shared with Uncle Sam, but the idea is there's enough money there to split with the various primary care physicians to say, wow, uh, I really improved my practice. I could hire that additional nurse. I could hire a nurse practitioner. I could hire case managers to keep people from readmitting to the hospital. I can do this. I can do this. And it's all tied to, again, this entire idea that the more that you're able to support those patients and coordinate care, the more likely you're going to create savings that are come back and accrue back to the physician, and in this case, the physician organization. So your group is in a position to actually work with physicians as they sort through their options here, correct? That is correct. And as you uh, uh, travel, 
uh, where are you finding uh, uh, the most interest in and the most engagement in uh, in working with you? And, and are there regional variations? What might those flavors be? A lot of regional variation from the Midwest to the Northeast, and certainly a lot of variation to the Southeast. Uh, Florida uh, and even other parts around the Southeast, they've had some experience with bundling, so that doesn't become the big barrier and the tripping point that it does, say, in New England, where uh, Massachusetts is moving very quickly to full bundle payment January 1st of this coming year, and people are kind of catching their breath saying, now, really, who's setting the guidelines here? Uh, and then you've got California, of course, that's uh, they've been doing bundle payment globals out there for quite a while, but you move just into the Utah, Nevada, Nebraska area, you're going to find uh, a lot less understanding of that. So a little bit, little bit slower uh, to really uh, reemerge in, in those particular markets. Oddly enough, uh, we're finding markets in uh, Montana. Uh, Washington State, uh, Portland, uh, Oregon, we're finding places uh, in the uh, central Midwest, even some of the rural areas where they're, uh, how should you say, they know that they can't compete with the big city, but at the same time, they know that three or four hospitals with three or four medical staffs could develop a collective ACL in their marketplace, even critical access hospitals. Could develop an ACO in the particular marketplace and generate additional dollars on top of what they're now being paid for the, uh, the their uh, critical uh, access hospital uh, services. So, and what I'm what Berwick has told us is that uh, what Dr. Berwick has told us is that the current Medicare is going to continue to be paid as we see it. So we're not going to see a change for critical access or a change uh, for a lot of these other organizations. Where the speed is happening is at the state level. The governor's convention right now, if you went out to D.C., and that's why we have one of our people out there right now, you attend the governor's conferences, they're talking about bundling. They're talking about Medicaid. They're talking about efficiencies, networks, ACOs, medical homes, tying all of this together to create an alternative to what they now have. Because they know that if they don't do this, the alternative was going to be to sell the whole thing to a managed care company who's going to manage all the Medicaid. And all of us who have worked in that atmosphere will say, great to have insurance, but that doesn't guarantee you a place to get the services. Wow, that's really powerful message as far as the fact, you know, the on-the-ground governors who are doing things in their state, irrespective of the, the tardiness of this guidance on ACOs. It's like, uh, you know, the horse is way out of the barn. It is. Now, I think a lot of the pediatric, uh, we're working with some pediatric hospitals right now. Uh, they are working very closely with their state houses to make sure that uh, whatever legislation is brought out, that in fact they'll be included in that because they understand uh, there's an opportunity for them on some of even the tertiary care bundles for them to actually do a better job than what they're doing right now. Uh, we're seeing a lot of interest uh, with medical societies in these states saying, boy, include us too. Uh, if you're going to do this for Medicaid and we're going to do this for Medicare and we're good for commercial, well, we might as well software. We might as well invest in developing these ACOs as being very solid. So for the states and the feds uh, to work together on this, it makes a whole lot of sense. And then, of course, we have that uh, the dual eligibles, which is something all of us are worried about, uh, that, that very fragile population who are Medicare eligible and Medicaid eligible, and who's going to manage that population. And uh, it's very difficult for anybody to be at full risk for those other than the Medicare Advantage companies who are equipped for it. But a lot of the ACOs could contract for the services because, again, they're going to be paid uh, for all the services that they provide. So the only way that they could make additional money is by improving 
how they can actually manage that particular population. If they can create any savings there, I mean, there's a generous proportion of the dollar that's set aside for that population that would come back to the ACO. So with an eight-month uh, potential timeline here, I guess the uh, the message is uh, get going. Uh, time's passing. Nope. Very true. Yeah. Very true. I think we've talked to a lot of physicians and hospitals who say we're going to wait for the regs. Uh, unfortunately, that's going to be too late. Uh, what we're going to see is uh, it's going to be favored for the large multi-specialty groups, those PHOs that are already been in business, and certainly provider-sponsored HMOs. There's about 125. Uh, ACOs that we think on day one will be grandfathered in based upon what we're seeing out there right now. But that's all right. That's all right because what Dr. Berwick is telling us that everyone's going to learn from those particular people and then find the model that works for them in the marketplace. So uh, we are excited about this opportunity. Wow. So as, as they wave the flag, there'll be 125 contestants in line already. It'll be a fast NASCAR race. Interesting. Well, this has been fascinating, Bill. I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, yeah, this is obviously a space you're intimately familiar with and uh, and actively engaged with. Uh, if they wanted to reach you, how would they make contact with you? They can uh, give us a call, 815-877-8781. They can also get through to me with uh, bill.demarco at pendulumhealth.com. Excellent, Bill, and thank you so much again for joining me today. And I want to uh, remind everyone that we do this every week at Wednesday, um, on Wednesday, 11 o'clock uh, Pacific time. That'd be, uh, what is that? That's 11, 2 o'clock Eastern and 1 o'clock Central. So next week I'm still juggling the schedule, but we'll have someone from the front line of the Accountable Care Organization movement. There are lots of moving parts here, and I hope that you can join us. And one more time, I want to thank William J. DeMarco for his time today. And I want to say, finally, thanks all. See you next week. Thank you, Greg.